and Epilogue Media come together to make Talk the Talk, a podcast where we speak about everything automotive with everyone who's in the automotive space. This is part two of our series with Shumi, the latest guy who's come on board for the Power Drift cause. We've had an incredible time. It's been so amazing. I'm, been, I'm so excited and I'm really fanboying here uh, <laughs> to have Shumi uh, working with us. In episode one, if you haven't listened to it already, I encourage you guys to listen to episode one. Uh, we covered a lot of aspects of his life in detail. This is pretty much, I guess, you could say his autobiography. Uh, we started about his growing up in Delhi, what was life for him like there, what course he did, how he got into the world of motorcycles. He had an RD350, which he bought. Um, and then also, I, what really stuck out to me was your credit card situation. Two RD350s and the credit card situation. Where it took him a couple of years to pay off his riding jacket that he bought from Japan. How has it been going for you, Shumi? What are, what are your thoughts? How are you liking the podcast so far? Oh, the podcast is great. And now I can afford my riding jacket. That's always a relief. <laughs> <laughs> man, those two years were such a suffering, by God. Oh, man. Awesome. So with this half, we're going to be talking about the latter half of Shumi's career. Um, moving out of uh, overdrive, coming into power drift, what he's looking at now, what the future is going to hold and a lot more uh, also if you guys don't know Shumi runs a racing school uh, so we're going to be a riding school yes sorry a riding school yeah, but yeah. we'll get into that yeah. in a bit okay so let's just jump into it folks now we left off last uh, was um, was with your stint at Overdrive you talked about um, being an editor there and you were just not I wouldn't say not happy but uh, maybe it what was I, happening I think at the I, time? I would say I was further away from motorcycles than I was comfortable with yeah and uh, as it happened at motoring, when I was beginning to get exhausted by the process and I was like, I need a fresh charge, overdrive happened. And now I was coming to the same point with overdrive where I was getting removed from motorcycles because I was doing administration and trying to transition overdrive as a brand that was looking at a magazine as a primary to looking at web as a primary Power drift happened. It's just like out of the blue. It's, it's, it's <laughs> so brilliant. How uh, challenging is it to run a publication that runs on multiple mediums? So you had a web uh, website to it. You had a magazine. You had a TV show. Uh, can you walk us through like the challenges of running an operation like that? It's a matter of resources, honestly. If you, for example, have the magazine's resources kept aside and you get a completely fresh set of resources for web, I don't think it should be that complicated. It doesn't require a change of headspace a little mm -hmm. bit, but not more than that. But what happens in the traditional magazine setup is that you try to re-leverage what you've got. And the logic that is always given to you is like, but they're all already writing. We're mm. just asking them to write some more mm. or whatever they're writing for web. You just carry that to the magazine, which is not really the way to do this. But that's how almost any magazine in India that's gone to the web has started out. The good ones have evolved from there. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them haven't. But it's a difficult transition because the magazine writer is used to having a little bit of time to process what he's felt sure. and put it out into a story. And the web guy will just never have that privilege. Mm. You know, for him, if he's given a column to write and he writes it on the weekend on his own time, he might have some time to process. But by and large, it doesn't happen. So it's a very difficult transition when you're trying to manage a team of people who worked in a way for 10, 12, 14 years sure. into a completely different, much faster paced, much less quality conscious way of working. It's very, very difficult to transition. How difficult or challenging was it for you personally to make that mental shift in your head saying that? You See, know, you remember I said one of my skills is typing fast. Yeah. It's a huge, huge sure. asset, right? Sure. Because 
I've been accused of pre-writing my stories multiple times in my career. Yeah. And honestly, I've never pre-written a story. I just write fast enough. Nice. Yeah. So for me to be able to write a magazine story and then churn out a completely different version for some other publication, like Overdrive was also writing for Forbes at one point mm-hmm. of time, mm-hmm. uh, or to be able to write a completely a third different version for a web series would be so easy. Because to me, a thousand words is like five, eight, ten, ten minutes of work. And if as long as your brain is clear about what it has to write, and after sure. eighteen years, if I haven't got that, then yeah. I really haven't learned much, have I? Yeah. So it was easy. Yeah. But I know that for 99% of the people, including people who are, let's say, at least as smart as I am or smarter than I am, it would be very difficult to do if you couldn't execute fast enough. So I can type as fast as I can think. So this is easy for me. But it is because I've been typing since I was in class four. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people who picked up typing as something that they got to do in college because it was finally a computer. Sure. I don't know that you'd be able to get to that kind of typing speed that fast. Sure. But apart from typing, what I'm also getting is you're very clear in your thoughts. Yeah. So uh, I would consider myself a very junior in this industry. And the hardest thing is uh, I find uh, when, I, when I'm doing my own reviews is getting that clarity in thought. Um, do you think that, of course, it's something that you develop over time. But do you think motorcycling also has played a role in that? Uh, oh, for sure it has because... Uh, what the first thing that motorcycling at the kind of frequency that we we ride at changes for you is your ability to concentrate Mm. because if you can't concentrate on a motorcycle you're lost Mm. and my concentration on the motorcycle is almost absolute Uh, i would say that there was a time when i would i would say i wouldn't say boast but it's close to that that when i got on the motorcycle i would stop for that much time having a gender having a family having an identity having a name I would not be any of those things. I would That's just be a guy on a motorcycle trying to get to the destination as efficiently, as safely and as fast as possible. Yeah. But that should tell you how much concentration is involved. No. And this is a, a study I've read about highly conditioned athletes who get into what's called a flow state. This sounds very similar to a flow state yeah. wherein so, your mind is just focused on that task and you're in there. So. Yeah. So today I am able to switch off the world at will and do just one thing at a time. Okay. That's amazing. So um, uh, I know it sounds like I'm God, but I can literally sleep anytime I choose to sleep. <laughs> it's part of the same uh, nice. conditioning. conditioning. Yeah. It's like, okay, we have a 20 minute break. I'm exhausted. I need to sleep for 20 minutes out. There's no transition. I will just be out. It used to annoy the crap out of Aarti because she'd be talking to me and I'd be like, it's time for me to sleep. And she'd be like, and then she turned around, I'd be asleep. <laughs> you know, pillow on the head and out. And out means you're not in a half state. You're mm. out. You're mm. like going from okay to snoring. Mm. You know, but to me, it's all part of the same mental process, which is, yeah. can you focus on one thing completely? And if you can, you'll usually do a good job of it. Yeah. And it's the same thing with reviewing. When I go out on shoots, when I'm going out and reviewing vehicles, I am not attached to my phone. Hmm. It's, I'm not getting distracted by the not phone calls. And for the Instagrams people, or the yeah, Twitters. <laughs> people will just have to wait yeah. until I am through with this so that I can move back to you. Right. It does sound like I do one thing at a time, but for the things that are important enough, sure. I think it is important to choose to do only that at one point of time. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that's really great. And of course, a, a very rare skill to have today. I think it's the, it's a skill that we are not allowed to understand the importance of today. Sure. People tell you everything must be multitasking. And yeah. I think multitasking is super important. Yeah. But as soon as you learn to multitask, you also yeah. need to be able to prioritize what tasks are beyond that. You know, one, I'm just going to rant a little bit here. But one of the things I hate that happens in the industry today, walk around videos. Mm-hmm. As soon as the product is unveiled yeah. without anything, just phone and then you go live and then you just babble and babble and just describe what you see. Yeah. There's no time to absorb yeah. anything. And it's just like, why? 
you know well, what this, I'm, sh- I'm sure there's a purpose for it and you want to be first I could take the blame for it because I think Overdrive was the first guys to ever do a walk around <laughs> <laughs> I think it was the Ninja 250 if I'm okay. not mistaken sure Sirish was out riding for the TV cameras and there was a Ninja in front of me and I had a phone so we basically walked around the bike and described it <laughs> So, foot in mouth glen wow <laughs> so i i might actually have started that no but see yeah. see, see again by, like with everything else sure. th- there is a bell curve of quality right yeah there are people very very few people who are at the extreme end of quality where the walk arounds make sense mm. and there are the people at the other end of the bell curve who just make no sense at all and there's mm. a lot of people in the middle who do a reasonably good job of it mm. i think walk arounds have a value mm-hmm. but i think the people doing the walk arounds need to bring a lot of pre information to the table sure. they need to have studied up first yeah. they don't need to tell you that oh look beige plastic yeah. they need to be able to tell you everything in the segment has beige plastic and this one does too or doesn't yeah. it needs a little bit more of filtration and processing and understanding yeah and to me a walk around with a little bit of processing has huge value yeah. and i'm proud to say overdrive has done some of the best walk arounds this industry has seen mm-hmm. and it was always because nobody was allowed to go out of the office unprepared you had to prepare and go yeah. there was like it was an emergency situation if somebody went out and basically did a cold walk around with no other mm. information apart from what the manufacturer handed out mm. Mm. interesting so to me walk arounds have a value it is like every other tool that we have being misused in a thousand ways you know it's like what was tiktok born for it was born for entertainment <laughs> uh, what did people do with it you figure it out i don't yeah. know what the hell it is uh, but the fact of the matter is everything can be used for sure. good value and it can be misused too sure so while you were at overdrive uh, i think around 2011 is when i think i believe partner started we started off as part of the rider what was your first thought when you saw the first video of partner my run in with uh, part of the rider actually dates before 2011 i met uh, rohan uh, at the css where he was also attending were you also an xbhpn no never <laughs> okay. that group i will not fully ever understand and uh, <laughs> anyway so yeah. i would rather not talk about uh, it uh, if think- anybody is wondering what he's talking about basically just to put a context a lot of the initial days of pardif was actually birthed out of xphp uh-huh. satyan rohan sagar uh, a lot of them were on the on the boards and forums were a really big thing i'm I, i'm still on team bhp i like going through the this thing very anonymously but uh, that's where it was birthed from basically yeah. oh so so i ran into rohan in the css paddock and css is a busy school sure. and some point he said i want to start this thing called part to the rider and they were already filming something and i was like okay and I wouldn't say my reaction to that was cold but I wouldn't say that my reaction was that too warm as well it was just like oh okay somebody's trying something new we didn't know it was going to become this huge thing and I certainly didn't know I was going to be part of it at some point <laughs> of time uh but when the first videos came out there was it was very clear that part to the rider and then part it for on to something that nobody else had ever thought of mm. which was to focus on the video as a product Uh, where it was not just what was being said but it was how it was being presented and to me that was very 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 different from how we were doing video at the time because mm-hmm. we were doing the news format video where mm-hmm. the shots that we would shoot were fixed mm-hmm. the scripts we would uh, shoot were more or less fixed mm-hmm. and when we tried something innovative usually the edit table guy would say what nonsense is this and just leave it out yeah so uh, it was a completely fresh take uh, i've had my difference of opinion in terms of what was being said on the part of videos sure. where i would i there were reviews where i was like this review is like almost utter nonsense because this bike <laughs> is not this good yeah uh, there are other reviews where i thought the reviews were absolutely spot on but okay. maybe the emotion side of it could be explained more mm-hmm. but i have watched parts sporadically over the years and i think the brand has consistently done stuff that we should all have been doing with our videos from the start mm. and nobody paid enough attention and uh, power drifted and was amazing so this is a question i've always wanted to ask somebody who's very senior in the industry such as yourself where 
you know uh, with automotive it really stems from a place of passion mm-hmm. why do you not think that people were receptive to the idea of displaying that through video because at the time we did have very successful shows like top gear for example which proved many years before that you know this was what people were looking for. and of course um there's only so much you can uh, of course you can talk about it in words but why do you think people were not very um jumping on the idea i always found it strange that somebody with much bigger resources didn't jump on the idea of doing great quality content in terms of video at the time i i think it's it's a matter of thinking about what you think is a huge resource okay for example mm. if you look at overdrive overdrive is today a huge organization sure but they are not a huge part of this huge organization they are a very small part of the huge organization so their actual resources might be a lot smaller than you think interesting okay uh, and in the same way when you guys started out doing part of the rider and par drift as your core product yeah. all the resources Only. are being committed to that one Absolutely. And Rohan and Amit Shetty and all of these guys were super clear that they wanted to make the best video ever. So if that needed the best camera ever, then you'd get it. And if it needed yeah. the best DOP and the best director, you'd get those resources. Yeah. But Overdrive's videos, for example, came from a completely different place, which mm. is we need to produce 21 seconds of video every week, mm. uh, 21 minutes of video every week, which needs to meet a certain format, which is CNBC's uh, TV18's friendly format. Got and they didn't want too much innovation happening so you do the odd feature where you'd like really go out there mm. but you didn't really want every feature to be out there mm. and the resources were designed for that job yeah our target was not to produce the best video ever our target was to produce the video well produce it in time sure. and get it released to the tv audience first because because you had a lot of those inherent restrictions yeah, but it was it's not no a restriction that's yeah. the job it was sure Oh the, yeah, yeah. Sorry, the, yeah? the job. So th- yeah. That was the job. Yeah. Your job as power drift was completely different. Absolutely. And I don't think anybody thought of your way of doing video at all. Yeah. It is now that it is becoming obvious that a well-produced video with good content is something that people will be extremely receptive to. Sure. And Top Gear to me is the worst example of the whole lot. <laughs> First of all, they're running on BBC's funding, which is almost limitless. That's true. A. That's true. B. Jeremy Clarkson is the smartest guy on earth because he yeah. quickly figured out that a car review show is a small show. Absolutely. But a car entertainment show is a bigger. massive show. Yeah. Today they're an entertainment show. If yeah. tomorrow he comes on screen and he says the GTR is the worst Nissan ever made, yeah. nobody will not buy a GTR because he said it. Absolutely. Right? And if there's the same breath you were to come and say the new Opel Vectra is the bee's knees. Yeah. It's not like it's going to cause an uptick in sales because now it's an entertainment show. Exactly. We are watching it for May, we are watching it for uh, Hammond Richard. and we are watching yeah. for uh, Clarkson. Yeah. And and I think what's interesting now is they've also killed the format. They said with yeah. the new Grand Tour, they said they're not going to do this anymore. Yeah. Uh, but also, I think like I should inter- interject here where a lot of people also say, why don't we do stuff like Top Gear? Mm-hmm. One thing I should say, and I firmly believe is what we don't realize about these guys, they've been in this industry before most of us were born. Mm-hmm. They have really cut their teeth in yeah. hardcore automotive journalism for decades yeah. before they really jumped into what they're doing. So they really know their shit. Yeah. um and there's that there's a lesson for all of us as well you really need to take your time with these things um so at the time of power drift what was happening what was um so at overdrive this was i think in 2011 is when you heard power drift you met rohan at the time did you and and you said you never really thought that no. uh, so how serious did you think power drift was did you did you just see it as a as just a fad or somebody was just doing something or you know when when you're doing something brand new that nobody has done before it's really hard to gauge how seriously to sure. take it and and at that point of time we were so busy being the big magazines and being self important 
we didn't really care what else everybody was doing sure uh, you were concerned about who was competing with you but yeah. new media was not even a thing yeah you know so people who've been on instagram when it started out today have huge followings because they started out exactly. first but you didn't take them seriously because of that exactly. you didn't say oh look they've already started on instagram we will start in 5 years time my god they're going to be huge by the time we yeah. start it was not even a problem so from that perspective part of the rider was just something else somebody was trying with motorcycles and mm. it was okay mm. good luck to them and hopefully they do well <laughs> hopefully they do well yeah we done part of it done okay um <laughs> i think we've done more than okay so coming into um so coming back into what was happening with you at od at the time so around 2011ish what what was going on in in your life personally how were you dealing with your work and well i think work was doing okay Actually, work has always been okay with me. And from two thousand three, we found out that Arthi had an issue with her kidney. Yeah, so how did that progress? I think the first four years of Arthi's illness was okay because we were basically on medication, but there weren't really any serious restrictions on us. Once you realize you have a kidney issue, then some foods get taken off the table, sure. and you become more conscious of your water intake and stuff. But it's not really a big deal. But once it starts to get worse, then kidney disease is just a hilariously bad disease to have because uh, once dialysis starts, you're in the hospital two to three days a week, four hours at a time. whoever was getting dialyzed might be really ill at the end of the dialysis so they may not be able to travel home on their own so then arthi's parents came and then got really complicated after that there was one transplant surgery i was off in hyderabad for a month recovering from that with arthi came back and they tell you transplants are the solution but they're not because that means a year of in quarantine because you have no immune system left because yeah. that's how the new organ will yeah. take hold so we were at the house was locked up for a year more or less there was no plants in the house people weren't allowed inside anybody who came you'd have to ask them do you have a cold do you have a cold oh you have a cold you meet me downstairs you're not coming mm-hmm. upstairs it was nonsense and it basically was in a tail slide from there on slowly and uh, she died two and a half years ago how how difficult was it to manage work and your personal life i think uh, overdrive was very very generous uh, in this particular regard they've never gotten in my way they never was i questioned if i had to take a break suddenly because arthi had been taken ill or whatever there was never somebody would organize a way to you know yeah. gloss over the fact that i was not there so in that sense they were super supportive of the fact that i had these difficulties that i was dealing with and i think i tried to repay them back by not letting this interfere with my work so mm. if i was at work i was at work and i was working at full capacity and if i was not at work then i was just not there because i was dealing with something mm. uh, serious uh, while during the process during which she died i think i was out of the office from i think 9th of june to the 26th of june which is when she actually passed away it was a difficult time uh, to the point where i was frustrated by how slow the movement was because she wasn't really recovering but she wasn't really worsening either um, and i actually went to spain to drive the volvo s90 in the middle of all of this it was just my way of having to step back and reconsider my options at that point of time and uh, i rather enjoyed that car actually <clears throat> and on the way back when i landed back in paris in transit dad called uh, arthi's father called and he said the doctors have given up hope and we need to pull the plug difficult time but i think one of my assets is that i am able to compartmentalize things yeah so while i was driving the s90 i wasn't focused on how ill my wife is because that's like a steady state mm. she's in the icu doctors are taking care of her my worrying is not really going to change that sure. situation arthi's parents were there and my friends were there everything yeah. was okay came back and i think literally the morning after i landed we had to pull the plug dealt with all of that uh, i remember uh, we were at the funeral and bertie's uh, bertie was my boss mm-hmm. he and his boss amit we both came and they were sat- sitting i was sort of just ensuring everybody was okay it was a bad day it was raining cats and dogs it was nuts i went up to him and i was like acha so tomorrow he's like don't you think of coming to work tomorrow because you'll freak everybody else out 
Mm. So I was like, what do you mean? She said, no, no, I know you will come to work and you will work because you're that guy. Yeah. But you will show up at work. Your wife has just died. People will not know what to do with you. So you will not show up to work for a week. So I was on an enforced vacation. It was for more week. for the other people than it was for you. But it tells yeah. me who I am. Yeah. Which is why I keep saying when I'm at work, I'm at work. Yeah. And when I'm not at work, then I'm just like, I would rather not be at work, you know. Yeah. So at Overdrive, our weekends were our weekends. So the rule was very clear. You do not take test vehicles over the weekend. Yeah. You do not shoot over the weekend. You do not test over the weekend. Saturday and Sunday is your family's time and you do what you want with it. That's amazing. But on Monday morning when you're at work, you'd better be here 100%. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sure over the years, you also had time to to sort of come to reality with the situation. Hmm. And uh, what was it like those last couple of months with the conversations you were having with her? And Actually, we got, uh, it's difficult to say lucky, but I think we got lucky because in 2014, she nearly died anyway. Uh, she had pancreatitis, which is combined with kidney disease is very painful and very, very close to fatal. And she nearly died in the process to the point where there were two or three days where the doctor couldn't tell us whether she would come home or not. But in the middle of the delirium of the painkillers, there was a lucid phase in the middle of which she basically said, um, in case I pass, these are the things that need to be done. And we made the list for both of us. So oh. she had my list and I had her list. But it made the job of actually processing the fact that she'd passed away two years after the fact a little bit easier because you'd mentally already been there in that headspace exactly. and sort of dealt with it. Exactly. Um, I don't know that everybody deals with death in the same way. Sure. But uh, I think Aarti's slow regression and the fact that she got worse over time made it a little bit simpler for us to deal with it because you knew it was coming. Hmm. I think our doctor, uh, Dr. Arun Shah, who uh, works out of Arugyanidhi in Juhu, is an excellent doctor because he refuses to lie to you. And yeah. he says very clearly saying, kidney disease doesn't get better. Yeah. Okay. That's how, that's his first day conversation with you. He, he, and he says, he says, I will not lie to you, but if you need a doctor who's going to tell you everything's going to be okay, I have a lot of friends who are very good nephrologists who will tell you that. Hmm. But it set up the idea that my doctor would tell me exactly what the score was and he held on to that for the 13 odd years that he was treating us. It made our job of dealing with what's happening next hell of a lot easier mm -hmm. it helped that Aarti and I both of us I think don't focus on the negatives too much sure we are both oriented towards oh we can now only travel for two days at a time where can we go for two days rather yeah. than oh shit we can't travel for a week anymore yeah you know and that's how we lived our life so awesome. in 2006 we went to Goa she was ill but she was allowed to travel because she was on medication so we were yeah. in Goa for a week but in 2014 when she was much worse mm -hmm. uh, in fact the day she went to the hospital for her last surgery that morning, she had had an epileptic uh, fit a few days before that and she's broken her back. Mm. But when you break your back, you crack a few vertebrae, there's no real cast as such, right? You wear a Was body it brace. because of the weakness or? Well, lack of calcium mineral yeah. disbalance plus a very severe epileptic sure. fit. Anyway, so, sure. so I'm leaving the house. I still distinctly remember it. Uh, me and a bunch of colleagues were supposed to go and shoot this custom motorcycle. And she's hanging, uh, you know how Bombay doors have that little cage. So she's hanging in the cage looking very happy with herself because she stopped taking a medication that used to make her nauseous. So I'm looking at her, I said, you want to come for the shoot? She's like, can I? I said, uh, yeah, we'll just make Ashok, who was my colleague, wait for another five minutes and then we'll go. So she changed and she was out with us for that shoot. Nice. And that was her last fully conscious day. And uh, we finished the shoot. We came back. We had lunch out with the uh, boys and stuff. And then she began to get exhausted. So I dropped her home. I'd gone to pick up motorcycles for the next day's shoot when the call for surgery came. Mm. And when we said goodbye to her for the surgery, we didn't know that was the last time we would see her in full conscious. Mm. But it was a great day. She had a great time. She was out of the house. She was out in the sun. She sat in the car. She chatted with all of my, all of the boys. And That's awesome. she loved being with the boys. Yeah. And Aarti was one of those people who I think, I wish I would, I was more like that, but everybody liked 
her because they genuinely got the sense that she's trying to help everybody yeah yeah i i think i try to help everybody as well but <laughs> i'm not so good at making them feel good about it yeah. but it it was emblematic of how we dealt with that illness we never let it get to us in the sense of shit man our lives are over we always dealt with it saying what is left what more can we extract from this yeah. and i think that's why when we went back to the hospital to thank everybody and being in a hospital for 13 years means you know everybody in that hospital it was a very emotional hospital that day because it was a very important patient that who had passed away it was yeah. not just another random yeah. uh, patient from the dialysis department yeah. who passed but uh, that set the tone for i think our lives from 2003 it i think is what i do today as well hmm. and you always focus on what's left what can you do with it and how you yeah. want, how you want to push it yeah it also i wrote a column about it too but it also puts in focus the fact that your money is not important and your prestige is not important sure. your time is the most important thing you've got you have exactly. if your parents are not letting you ride a bike today and you want to <laughs> you can go ahead and do it yeah. because you don't know what happens next absolutely you don't want to be 32 and realize you don't you i don't know you have arthritis today and you can't ride a bike anymore yeah you do it now yeah because that is guaranteed to you yeah. what happens tomorrow is not guaranteed to you you know this resonates so much with me as well um because uh, uh i was I, i lost my grandmother of course you know grandmother and wife two different things altogether but she was basically my mother uh with she was the one who had you know me delivered me and i grew up with her throughout my childhood uh and then when i moved out of my parents place when i was 18 i made the conscious decision to move back with her to live with her to take care of her and uh, it was an eight year progression where i saw her sort of always get worse but i see so many similarities in their outlook towards life to have a healthy approach towards death you know it's inevitable it's yeah. going to come so there's no point focusing on on what is anyway is the inevitable yeah. so you might as well focus on the time that you have and uh when she passed away it was on her terms yeah um and it was it was it, it was of course very difficult to the point where even it's kind of freaky because even she had a massive fall and hurt her back as well and i had to help pick her up and mm. it was um but for me it was it was a really a rare privilege to take care of somebody who you love so much and who yeah. also loves you back and that's that's something that i definitely cherish and 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 it's also kind of freaky with the work ethic ethic thing because at the time i was running a startup and uh um the i was at gone for like a meeting the very last day i saw her said goodbye and i knew that something was off that day got a call from my folks saying that you know she's now in the hospital and i i knew that was it so i you know said thank you for everything that you've done for me move on uh next two days we had the the funeral buried her um and since i was the closest we gave the eulogy and everything that evening i had a startup pitch uh so basically i had to get to work and i knew that that's what she would have wanted me to do mm. so it was yeah I, i buried my grandmother a couple of hours ago but mm. then you know for me it was i know that this is what she'd want to do put on a suit when did the pitch won the money uh it was great yeah. um but uh, it's 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 really important to have that healthy approach towards yeah. towards because that's when you realize that you know we're not as big as we think we are of course we get so engrossed in our own little worlds yeah. but it's important to also keep in mind that we're just still a small part of this big cosmic puzzle yeah. and there's a lot more for us to do uh, how did that sort of change your mentality because to me it obviously sounds like you're you're a very sorted person in your head but did this change your approach towards life in any way or um yeah i i refuse to waste time anymore mm. um, i've always been a punctual person and that was just a thing 
today it's a lot more conscious i don't want you to waste my time and i certainly don't want to waste yours because awesome. it's the only thing you won't get back yeah right i could be rich today and i could be poor tomorrow and i would rich again on day 3 yeah uh, but uh, will you get the time you have today back no yeah uh, so uh, arti of course being arti she's amazing so she left money for motorcycles okay <laughs> So yeah, yeah no no I'm not so her life insurance policy was clearly written saying whatever comes from this you get a motorcycle wow. uh I think her father was insisting on her buying some diamond jewelry 3 <laughs> 4 years before she passed and she came back and I was like what the hell are you buying diamond jewelry for man you can not <laughs> even leave, <laughs> leave the house anymore right yeah. she's like no no this is for you you sell this I've got all the documentation <laughs> you go back to I think it's just Tanish or something so oh, you go back amazing. to Tanish you sell this off you'll get about 6 7 lakh rupees motorcycle yeah. so in as it turns out we just opened that locker and extracted yeah. the jewelry yeah. from there and all of that so it's very important to understand why the obituary itself has motorcycles in it mm-hmm. it's because she understood natively that this is what my life revolves around I am at my happiest when I'm on a motorcycle. Uh, started in 1997, today is 2019, 19. and I am still that guy. Yeah. I am still excited by motorcycles, and I am very, very lucky that it's not like a hundred cc motorcycle doesn't excite me anymore because I have a multi-strada. Yeah, I am excited to ride as long as it leans into a corner. I'll be okay, <laughs> you know. So the Ducati, for example, the Ducati is all Arthi. If, if it wasn't for Arthi, the Ducati wouldn't happen. I can't afford a 20 lakh rupee motorcycle. I'm not rich enough. Mm. But I sold my Triumph, which is a motorcycle. You had a triple RS. I had a street triple, yeah. and I didn't really connect with it too much. So I had it for about a year, and I put thirteen thousand kilometers, yeah. modified it heavily, all that. But I just never felt the connection. I sold that, took that money, took some of the money that she left, put it together, just about managed to make the EMI for the uh, Ducati. By happen chance, uh, a friend of mine who I told ten years ago I want an I want his R6 because it's one of the few street legal R6s there is. He called roughly at the same time, saying that look, that bike is for sale. If you want it, you said. first that you wanted to buy the bike so i'm calling you first uh, it was 4 lakh rupees i called a colleague of mine who i teach with at the school and he said uh, you want to go halfsies yeah let's do halfsies so he agreed to spend 2 lakhs i agreed to spend 2 lakhs not knowing where the 2 lakhs are going to come from <laughs> the next day the ducati guy is called yeah. and at this point i don't think ducati india knew yet that i was buying a motorcycle it's sure. one of my things okay yeah. i will never take a discount that's great so yeah. both my ktms the triumph and the yeah. ducati have been bought by my own steam collected yeah. money to key loans whatever they called and they said you're buying a 16 registering it in 17 you should ask for a 10% discount for appreciation wow. so i said i am a journalist i will not utter the discount word because as soon as i do my ethics my integrity everything goes for a toss absolutely so this is but this is due to you you know and <laughs> people would negotiate beyond this they would not yeah. ask for 10% they ask for more yeah. i said i don't care what people would do i'm not people i'm me and That's i cannot amazing so they unilaterally the dealership guys unilaterally processed a depreciation discount for me wow and it turns out there was 2 lakh rupees That's insane. Which is what I paid for the R6, That's which insane. is why I named them together. So they are yeah. Ferrari and Ferrari, which is yeah. the masculine and feminine uh, version of the same word. Wow! Because they were effectively purchased as a set. What does Ferrari mean? Uh, all the words come from my first RD350, which was Ferrari, which means okay. wild or savage. Okay. And the F-E-R sort of makes its way down all of my motorcycles. So there's Ferrari, there was Ferrosia, there was Ferox, there was uh, Ferox. Always gets uh, auto corrected to Ferros for some reason, which I hate. <laughs> uh, Ferros, <laughs> my bike Ferros. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, Ferox was my CV750 which Arthi yeah. loved because the seat was huge and was such a comfy bike. Did she ever ride? Uh she sat behind me on multiple bikes uh, including the first one was an Aquila. We sure. went up to Alibag and came and it was a red plated bike so I was coming through the Octra I was coming quite fast through the Octra because I didn't want to catch me obviously. <laughs> coming down the Eastern Express highway like going a little bit fast because sometimes they would chase you in a sumo. Yeah. 
and we got home and she had a huge bruise across her back because the backrest had no uh. back padding on it and i was like are you okay she like why the fuck wouldn't you ride like this the whole way why the <laughs> fuck were we bimbling around on those beach roads and i was like i just don't want to scare you scare oh, you i was I fucking know. bored and, and she was like a speed freak so yeah. after that i remembered i i knew that if she sat behind me i had to go as fast as i normally do that's awesome uh then we rode for a long time together we had a, a, a apache which was my long termer full gear both for her and for me had our first big crash on that same bike together <laughs> we had a guy coming home that night wow. so this guy called matthew barrett mm. who uh, rode with us in the himalayas mm. matt's calling saying hey where the fuck are you guys man it's like uh, arthi and i have just had a crash so you just hang around there we're reaching there we reached home gave him the keys went to the hospital got us oh. patched up and then we <laughs> lay in bed for two days i think two weeks recovering it was oh, great man. fun it was, it was amazing huge bonding she had injuries i had injuries wow. and i could do certain things like i think my hands weren't so injured but my knees were yeah. and and her i think hands were injured but knees weren't or whatever so we were sort of complimenting each other it was a great two weeks um, and that's the day when i stopped using helmet intercoms because i think it caused a lack of concentration on my part although i don't believe the fault was ours but i also believe if you crash a motorcycle it's always your fault you did something to contribute wow anyway so yeah. so all of these names come from that first motorcycle nice. which effectively means wild and savage that's mm. how i like my motorcycles mm-hmm. i like them to be a little bit scary yeah and the line continues and uh, to the point where i actually have a uh, a list in my reminders app which is all the names <laughs> with their meanings in various languages like if i buy a new bike tomorrow i have a name how many how many names do you have that given uh, 19 i think 19 yeah, okay yeah, yeah. so that's that's possibly how many you intend to own <laughs> no 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 that's just the names i found so far <laughs> this is just an idle thing yeah. oh that's so, awesome yeah yeah that's very cool yeah. um i think at this juncture let's take a quick break mm-hmm. um this was definitely not an easy thing to talk about and, um, and thank you so much for opening up that no, way sir. it's never easy to do that uh but we'll just be back this was uh, part 1 we still have um, a lot more to talk about we're still not done guys this I, i'm i'm having a lot of fun uh, when we come back from the break we're going to be talking about shumi's journey into power drift and what lays ahead so stay tuned uh we'll catch you in just a bit problems are everywhere some adjust their lives coexisting with it while some who can't do much but complain then there are some who just run away from those problems and here comes a special kind of people the dreamers the believers the ones who are not fond of the rules They are the ones who saw their problems differently. They saw the problems as opportunities to change themselves and the world. They rose by lifting others. Join us to know their epic journey of how they changed the status quo on being the change with me, Rohan Thakkar. only on epilog media network All right folks welcome back to talk the talk this is part 2 of a second part of our two part series <laughs> with the awesome shumi we have gone in amazing detail i've been having a lot of fun if you guys have been enjoying this podcast getting to know shumi uh, better please do write into us send us your comments and your feedbacks uh, it will definitely help us with putting out future episodes um so we've covered shumi's life until overdrive and what happened until then now let's get into the bits um of where we are today talking about power drift so How did the conversation start for you, Shumi? And when did you really start to think that uh, you wanted a change in direction? I think the 
it wasn't really a conversation rohan called and said would you do a cameo for tnr sure. and i said uh, yeah that's this episode 1 this yeah. is episode 1 and uh, i basically told my office that i would be doing this and uh, came here and met the guys and the popcorn and all of that drama happened sure. and i think the yep it's me legend yeah. sort of born <laughs> yeah. i had a lot of fun doing it and uh, met amit shetty for the first time there and i really enjoyed that part and i think they must have also enjoyed it because it sort of i i think the idea was born in their head that i might be a good thing to do for powerdrift so sure. for the longest time actually <laughs> i hadn't yeah. thought of powerdrift even seriously even by that point uh, i was becoming aware that video was the way to communicate uh, to the future audience mm-hmm. uh, that print was very good for a certain kind of person but most of the people didn't have the patience for print anymore mm-hmm. uh, and uh, i would get a lot of response to my columns in overdrive because they were extremely personal uh, emotional columns but yeah. the articles not so much and the people just don't communicate that much yeah. anymore you know yeah. uh, they're happier to let you know when you made a mistake than when they appreciate your work absolutely. you've done absolutely Yeah. So all It's of this was sort of yeah. yeah so it was all of this was happening together and then I think uh, Rohan called me and he said uh, would you be you know thinking about a change I'm like yeah why not and one of the considerations was obviously that I'd been at overdrive for 10 plus years by that sure. point of time which I think is a long time and a good time to be at a place yeah um especially because if you spend 10 years in an organization there is a good chance that your gratuity might get you a motorcycle you know? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, everything comes back to motorcycle yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. draw like a schematic of your life it's just everything just like yeah, yeah, leads yeah, to yeah. that one thing yeah, yeah. yeah. so uh, yeah so between all of this happened then i came and met rohan and i really liked the idea of power drift now uh, i don't know that when power to the rider began i was a very uh, i was paying attention to it sure. but the amount of Uh, traction that you guys got when power drift really took off mm-hmm. and i saw those videos and i was like i would like my videos to look like this yeah but i would like to say the things that i normally say absolutely um and to me it's a very powerful thing because i think i say stuff that people get yeah uh, i think i say things that need to be said sure. and uh, i don't have an undeserved reputation for speaking my mind absolutely it's gotten me into trouble over the years with manufacturers also but the fact of the matter is if i believe it's right then i'll usually say it mm. Uh, unfortunately for most people i deal with i'm very rarely wrong uh, that does not help my case at all i should be wrong more often that would make me more human <laughs> <laughs> but the fact is between being right quite a bit and being able to say what i think and i articulate enough to figure out what to say i think i would have i would imagine that power drift and me together would be a fantastic combination absolutely my ability to evaluate a motorcycle yeah to be sensitive to the emotional side of it yeah. and your ability to be able to take that emotion and turn it into a fantastic product yeah. together i think is a fantastic idea absolutely and i think the conversation was basically about that uh because i am currently uh, a widower mm-hmm. yeah i like to say that <laughs> so currently i'm a widower so it's easy for me to make the transition sure. from bombay to pune and stuff you yeah. know so if if you were to say can you move to pune yes i can did i imagine i would ever live in pune no <laughs> uh, I, will it, would it be attractive for you to take overdrive which was web and print and tv and all of that and do just video yes mm. it does focus my content output a lot yeah. and i think focus is what i'm good at yeah. i'm not really good at doing multiple yeah. things simultaneously yeah. and trying to be good at multiple things so i think in many ways things came together and the conversation was an extremely pleasant and positive conversation and i went back to overdrive buzzing saying hey i think this is a fantastic thing and 
I'm conditioned now to think of best case scenario and worst case scenario, right? Yeah. So your best case scenario is I do fantastic work at Powerdrift. The brand benefits from my experience, and I benefit from the brand's abilities. Yeah. And your worst case scenario is maybe in two years we realize we are not a great fit. Yeah. And in that case, I would have learned so much about producing video and Absolutely. understanding video as a medium. Yeah. I can't see a way that either Powerdrift or I have a bad deal in this. Exactly. It made the job of thinking about Powerdrift as a serious option very, very easy. Absolutely. And uh, I, I think the decision was taken like in a flash. Yeah. Uh, it's just that at our levels, you don't get released very fast. So exactly. You get you. Re I resigned in very early in January. It took almost till the beginning of March to resign. Yeah. And uh, I promptly left. I took a motorcycle and I left. <laughs> I, I left town. I was, I was on the bike. bike. So a, a lot of people, my friend said, "Mukti rider, Mukti from Overdrive," yeah. and I was like, "No, man." <laughs> it was autocorrect. Okay, yeah. the first time I typed Ducati Multistrada into my Instagram, it corrected it to Mukti, Mukti Strada. Strada. And uh, actually, I mean, maybe I typed it wrong, but it didn't autocorrect it to Multistrada. Yeah. It just remained Mukti Strada. And when somebody pointed it out, I was like. That's actually correct. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, that bike does release me in many ways exactly. from a lot of the compulsions of other kinds of motorcycles, exactly. right? Because uh, what I started to do after I got the multi is to pick squiggles in Google Maps and start going for rides yeah. wherever I wanted to because yeah. the squiggle looked good. Yeah. And you'd link it up into like a 500 kilometer <laughs> loop and just go, knowing that your motorcycle will handle all of whatever comes next. Mm. Sometimes there'd be great all tarmac loops, sometimes they wouldn't, but the multi mm. wouldn't notice. Mm. And in that sense, it was mukti from the idea that I needed good roads to ride a 160 bhp motorcycle yeah so the mukti ride was not about overdrive it was about the mukti strada going for a ride <laughs> but anyway so all of that drama happened and i left on sixth i went straight to the racetrack taught two days at school sure. uh, then continued down south then came back up a friend of mine invited me to stay at his place at, at the edge of the bandipur forest nice amazing break good to chat with him he's also a hardcore um not a motorcyclist hardcore, but he's like a hardcore for the earth, loves elephants nice. kind of guy. It was a great time with him. Another friend of mine rode out from Bangalore and he joined us. It was a yeah. brilliant day. Then I went and got my Desmo service, which was a huge event in the Ducati's life as it were. Then I continued my ride, reached home on 18th March, like 12, 14 days later, yeah. four and a half thousand kilometers later. And it was fantastic. It was just motorcycling every day for the <laughs> heck of it. You know, I had another friend, my friend Josh called and he said, what kind of nonsense trip is this? You're just on the bike for like 700 kilometers a day. You're not meeting anybody. You're not really seeing anything. I was like, I don't want to do any of those things. That's amazing. I've been at work for 11 years straight. I'm not a leave taking type person. Yeah. Okay. So I've been at work for 11 years straight. I would just like to ride my motorcycle for the fuck of it. Yeah. So my day one was a thousand kilometer day. Wow. My last day was a 780 kilometer day. And it was because I wanted to get it out of my system that I could do these things. That's amazing. So load up the bike and go. And I had a fantastic time. But I think it's why I'm so charged to be at Pardew because mm. all the exhaustion of being at work for literally 17, 18, 19 years yeah. at a stretch is all gone. I mean, I'm now, I, I can't sit in one place. Okay? I'm yeah, a just a fidgety weeks. person. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm, I, yeah. So the last week before I showed up, I showed up on April Fool's Day at Pardew. <laughs> but, uh, it was but, just a running joke yeah, at yeah, the yeah. office. So yeah. On that day, if I, I could not sit in my house any longer, I just needed to get back to work and be productive again. Mm. And to me, the most important thing about people who take jobs and leave jobs is take the breaks in the middle of those two jobs very, very mm. seriously. It's the only time you'll get paid and have time simultaneously. Mm. It's not like taking a month off from office and going for a sabbatical. It's not. Exactly. It's between the jobs that you must value your time. Yeah. I think I took a break between motoring and overdrive as well. Yeah. This one was an amazing break. I was almost off for a month. 
it was insane and if i were to leave power drift tomorrow you can bet your ass i'm not joining the next guy the next day <laughs> he is going to have to wait yeah and you look at it like this if your future employer values you he should give you the time to recharge before you come into the new workplace yeah yeah that's so important it was so important for me to have that break yeah. and i am now like it's like i can feel energy coming out of my fingertips when i get to work because i'm so stoked Awesome. What a great place to work at, Powerdrift is. How has it been for you in terms of? I'm just curious because you come from one would say a traditional setup. Mm-hmm. So coming to our office in Bane Road, <laughs> which is a house. Uh, how has it been for you? What do you think of the work culture and just your thoughts? Oh, I'm in love. Um, first of all, everybody here is very young, yeah, and that brings its own energy to the environment. Sure. Uh, second, it is still after seven years of being in operation, still a startup, and people still are there. working their hearts out which is yeah. phenomenal to watch but because powerdrift is such a large uh, fo- has such a large following today it's also a very very fast moving place yeah. and that's always always good for me because i can't sit still at all and most importantly it feels like i'm home because when you think of an idea the first thing that is handed to you is not there aren't any resources to do this yeah. the first thing that's handed to you is let's develop this into a full blown idea Absolutely. and then let's execute it i mean uh, this is rohan's words not mine but the ktm duke a uh, blockbuster that we did with yeah. ray uh, 1.1 million views in 3 days is yeah. insane and when i came into the set for the first time for my second cameo ever at pardit i was like holy shit you guys are spending a fuck load of money on what <laughs> is a motorcycle that i don't we think make no money yeah, that i, I don't <laughs> think it's going to sell a lot yeah. and rohan looks at me and says but this is your idea and i was like holy shit i'm already getting blamed for stuff that i haven't done <laughs> and he's like no 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 listen listen you said that the ktm duke 125 will be purchased by the parents for the child it will not be the child's decision although it's a beginner bike exactly i said yeah so this is what we developed out of that concept yeah and totally full easy. credit to the scriptwriter because it's an amazing script and yeah. the actors did a phenomenal job but the idea that you would take something that simple and execute it so amazingly because you think it was worth executing yeah. is not happening in our industry today at all yeah and to me that sets the tone for powerdrift for me it's yeah. a place of opportunity it's a place of positivity and it's a place that says hey look the world is our oyster yeah. and let's make as much as of it as we can mm. there is nobody here to say uh, yeah let's make as much as we can within reason yeah yeah there will be reason at some point where somebody <laughs> yeah. say okay look this project is not worth so much sure. money or not worth so much effort or not sure. worth so many resources but is not a daily occurrence here and it's, yeah. it's amazing that it is yeah, how many organizations do i know in this business who are operating the way powerdrift is none yeah, yeah. and that's why you guys are who you are that's why i am here yeah. and i'm so happy to be part of this family yeah i, I keep saying i mean it, not not to brag anything but this is legitimately the best thing i've done with my life because the kind of freedom that you get here uh, you don't really find it anywhere else not just in the industry but barnan yeah uh, and of course people are excited by ideas and not individuals yeah. that's something that really stuck out to me the first time i joined the company as well it didn't matter i mean ray is a great example he's he's an intern but he's been escalated to superstardom in the company mm. because he is a superstar yeah. not because we just needed an intern to fit that role because he is a supremely capable guy yeah who has shown demonstrated passion over the last 2 years working tirelessly uh, and we've seen it yeah. so it's it's when the ideas strike and when, and when you meet like minded individuals it's a very rare thing to have you know it's yeah. like it's like hang with bros yeah. in a lot of ways yeah. um that's really cool um what's the fu- what's your future plans with parif as in like what are you thinking now of course uh, because we're we're not we're all not traditional journalists quote unquote uh, there's also a lot of gaps in in our content and and you're also plug 
your I think one of your responsibilities plugging those gaps as yeah. well. So what what is your role in Power Drift going to be, and and what do you envision the future to look like? As I understand it, I am supposed to have an overview of all the content that we put out and sure. ensure that the mix is a nice even mix for our audience. uh some part of it is controlling what we are saying on the video mm-hmm. because uh, i think sometimes it's easy to get lost in the idea that we are making this amazing video so we have to keep saying amazing things about this motorcycle sure. or this car maybe it doesn't deserve it and we have to find that balance mm. where we are accurately portraying a vehicle mm. uh on a motorcycle it's a little bit simpler because there are a lot more subjective content in there than maybe a car which is Absolutely. more utilitarian but i think we do need to find a clear balance where you come to power drift knowing you'll be entertained yeah. you'll watch a great video yeah. but you will have genuine review content that you will see and you will use in the showroom tomorrow mm. that's one agenda that i mm. have uh, i don't think it's very hard to achieve because a lot of these bases are already in play mm. we just need to fine tune what we are doing mm. the second thing i think i would like to attack a little bit is our timelines mm. sometimes our videos just take a long time to come out <laughs> yeah. uh, and i think it's a fixable easy to solve problem yeah. but it's something that we need to attack because I don't think it's fair for example if a motorcycle comes out today it's not fair for the powerdrift fan to have to wait 3 weeks for us to produce the exactly. best video there is on the exactly. motorcycle maybe we can do it in 2 weeks yeah and we need to explore the avenues where we bring that timeline up hmm. it's not a google friendly thing as far as i'm concerned i don't <laughs> need to report to google <laughs> yeah. but i do need to answer to my reader yeah. because if let's say the mt15 is out today and he's trying to decide whether to buy an mt15 or not mm. he is relying on powerdrift to give him some information mm. Mm. should do we really want to string him out for 15 mm. days or 20 days before we give him what he needs to mm. that's the part that i think we need to attack mm. the third thing i think we, need, we you guys do amazingly well is interact with your audience mm. and keep that engagement level high i think we should do that with even more gusto sure and the final part of the puzzle for me is education mm. our audience is a very very hardcore but there are young audience yeah. which means there's a lot of opportunity for us to bring them up and show them what we've learned yeah, yeah and i think we want to pass that information on so i would like a little bit more educational content also on powerdrift yeah. where we are talking about small things like driving better riding mm. better packing your motorcycle better for a tour mm. and you know it it you'd be amazed if you can pack well how much easier it becomes to tour on a motorcycle yeah. would you really link up the two and have a packing cube video on a motorcycle <laughs> channel i'm I am flummoxed that nobody does. Yeah, but this is also really cool for us. Uh, when I joined Partners, this was three years ago. I think I was employee number ten, very small office. We used to live in the office, and uh, today we have Shumi on one side, we have Singhi on one side, and there's so much of learning that's happening. Uh, the company's also grown from ten to sixty-five people and more. So it's been incredible, and for us. like especially from a lot of guys in powerdrift and I, i feel like i can speak for them major fanboying sometimes we see always have these big grins on our face like oh shit i can't believe these guys are here yeah. uh but it's but it's incredible and we're very hopeful for the future and, and the kind of content that's going to come out of it um apart from you you, you talked about uh, potentially doing a series on riding better on riding better a lot of people might not know this but actually show me co runs a riding school yeah. a racing school mm. um tell us about it how did that idea come about when did that start So I've always like I told you I I'm, I'm like a bookworm right if I yeah. want to pick up a skill I'll find a book right so I've been doing this for a while and in India you usually learn to ride from a family member a friend somebody who shows you everything they know about it and there might be good habits in there and bad habits in there and you pick them all up Absolutely. you just don't know which one is which uh I went to CSS for the first time I think when I met Rohan that that year I think it was the second ever CSS in India 
and just the fact that there was a coach observing what i was doing and being able to correct me dramatically changed how i ride a motorcycle mm. and at that point i will honestly tell you i was not a regular at a racetrack at all mm. i went for the first time at the racetrack i went for the r15 the first r15 launch and i was king lost I, I, and i was fucking last so i came out and i was like i don't know what to do and think about it what is a yeah. racetrack it's a bunch of left and right turns thrown at you right exactly. and you've taken a thousand left turns and a thousand right turns exactly and i just didn't know what the fuck to do <laughs> i went up to aspi i remember and i said aspi i i don't know what to do here and he's like first time at the racetrack i said yeah i said okay so basically go aram se and don't crash as long as you don't crash you'll be okay and next time you come you'll know more yeah and that's what i did i i was the slowest journalist perhaps out there to the point where the japanese guys who were taking feedback they came and looked at me riding and said yeah he's not worth it and they just <laughs> didn't ask me anything and it was awesome because the bike was actually very good so we didn't need yeah. to actually tell them anything but i remember when it first came with that delta frame was a game changer yeah, yeah, yeah. Handling, it, was, right? it was an amazing event yeah. and uh, uh, i had a great time but i was like lost yeah, yeah. then i went to css and i was found partially and then i went to the two school the throttle wide open school as a student and anand dharmaraj who started the school and they taught me and i went back again and then after the third or the fourth time they said you know you want to become an instructor now because you are very good with explaining things and i think the problem with schools run by racers is not all racers have thought about how they go exactly. fast if you haven't thought about how you go fast you can't explain it to other people yeah. so there are very few racers even in the moto gp series who yeah. are so clear about how they are riding Articulate. that they can explain yeah. it to somebody else yeah. but a lot of guys are so talented they just don't really know how yeah even even with drivers kimi raikinen is a great example <laughs> yeah so so, so they, they they can be fine tuned by a riding sure. coach who tells them you you need to lose half a second into turn 4 and they'll figure out how to lose half a second mm. but if you were to ask them to break down that half a second into a method they may not be able to not everybody is capable of it sure. right so i think our school works well because anand has raced i have not raced but i am methodical about how i approach things dodo has raced but for a long time ago and vignesh is perhaps the most methodical rider ever because he actually writes everything down corner by corner and makes notes yeah and the combination is a good one we are not a race school so throttle wide open by indy motard is a 100% riding school we are at the race track for the safety of it and the repeatability of that environment more than anything else yeah. what you're talking about is how do you ride your bike better mm. it turns out faster and safer are two sides of the same coin you mm. can't really go faster if you're not safer, safer and you can't really go slow if you're safe you have to go fast they come yeah. together that's what the school has been up to it's a i think a 14 year old school now so oh. we are actually the oldest school in the country now yeah. uh, i've been teaching there for i don't know but maybe 10 years now wow and to me one of my huge battery chargers for motorcycling is to be able to go back to that go to the school uh, meet some new people on a saturday and work with them and then see the lights go off in their heads on like a saturday afternoon hmm. you know 3 4 sessions in where they suddenly understand what we are saying about how your eyes work and how your brain works and how the two work together yeah. and then by sunday they're going blazing quick and that's to me is an amazing feeling Experience, it's something yeah. that i wish everybody would get to have once in their lives my favorite example is we had a girl who had who usually was at the race track with her husband and one day we spotted her uh, in gear and we were like okay what are you doing here she said no i'm in school uh, husband is riding open uh, like the open session which is while we are in classroom and she was actually riding in classroom on a harley davidson street road or something no okay. it was a street 750 on on track on track a street 750 yeah it's a riding school right so, so we don't really whatever care. you want yeah, yeah. so, so we've had no judgment yeah, yeah we've had bullets That's uh, awesome. we've had nf uh, impulses we've what had what has been the most strangest motorcycle you've seen on track oh we've had everything man we've got full on harley davidsons with no ground clearance we've had the uh, bmw gss we've had tigers with 21 inch front wheels we had the whole thing <laughs> and 
she and her husband cancelled their plans to go back to bangalore because she was so confident that they actually went for a ride through the ooty hills and all that back wow. home at the end of our school yeah. and i know i know we do a good job of that school yeah. yeah the feedback is insane and some people have gone to other schools and i'm saying those schools do a valuable job or whatever they do sure. but the focus of a race school and the focus of a riding school is not the Very same different yeah. yeah and to me most people in india would benefit from a riding school no matter how good you think you exactly. are exactly yeah and it's one of it's, it's an art more than it is a science as well so you have to constantly do it yeah. yeah to me of course there's a lot of science behind it but there is a lot yeah. of science to it but to me not a lot of people realize how mental a sport motorcycle is Absolutely. and i don't mean mental in the sense of how the 20 year olds use the word mental it's not yeah. sick or yeah. mental <laughs> yeah. it's actually mental you're yeah. actually thinking the whole time so how do people get in touch how do people <coughs> sign up Oh, it's very simple. IndieMotard.com slash TWO is the website. Sure. Uh, whatever the next dates are available, we'll be listed there. Go and register. Yeah. Uh, the prices used to be very cheap. I know that I've done the school at 5,000 rupees a weekend. No, but I was just going to say, compared to other schools, this is very reasonably priced. Um, see, I, I would say two or three things to that. One, schools are becoming expensive because racetracks are becoming expensive. Sure. Okay. Um, prices have gone up as much as 100% for one of the racetracks. BIC has always been an extremely expensive racetrack sure. for a school to operate out of. Sure. But... I would say, I'm not saying they are expensive, we are cheap. I am saying look at it as a weekend for you. Exactly. Okay. How many people do you think can spend 35,000 rupees on tuition, another 10,000 rupees on your transport, sure. 3,000 rupees to rent leathers, another 5,000 rupees to rent a bike. Yeah. It becomes like a 70,000 rupee weekend. It's not everybody's cup of tea anymore. Exactly. There was a time when the tuition chunk of this was very small. It was 10,000 rupees, 16,000 rupees and you'd get the weekend done in 30,000 rupees. Mm. Many people can do a 30,000 rupee school weekend. Sure. Not a lot can do a 50,000 rupee school weekend. It's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. On the flip side, uh, Karthikeya Singhi was uh, at the last session doing the open track day and he was mind blown. We did nine sessions of open track time for him. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy amount. Uh, I think time. it was twenty or twenty-five minutes each. I forget. Yeah, uh, it depends on how many st- people. Just are. to put it in con- context, even if you get to do three open track sessions, it's a big deal. Yeah, we did nine, which is insane. Yeah, so he was exhausted, and he was yeah. like, you know, I might just come for one day for your track school. I'll just come in in the morning, ride my nine sessions, and fly the night out. Yeah, uh, it'll also be cheaper if he does one day with us. Plus, it's a lot of track time. Sure. So I know that we produce excellent value with our school, but I cannot any longer honestly say that it's an affordable school, even if there are other schools that are more expensive and ours is a cheap one. Hmm. It's just too expensive because of location cost today. Sure. I mean, that's just, uh, things are changing and, and everything is becoming expensive in life today. Um, with that, I just have a few more questions to ask mm-hmm. you. Um, in your long career that you've been uh, almost two decades now, uh, it's amazing to see that you're still open for a challenge. Mm-hmm. And of course, to me now, I was going to ask you where, where it was going to come from. But to me, it's very clear that it's just purely for the love of motorcycles. Yeah. And that's what's driving you forward. But do you have any maybe, I wouldn't say top, maybe top three memories that really stuck out to you in the career that you've had that really on motorcycles on Um, it could be anything (laughs) yeah they're all motorcycles but they're all going to be motorcycles anyways yeah there was this uh, zx 9r that i remember i will never forget Uh, me and my girlfriend were in our house and we were fooling around and (laughs) (laughs) this motorcycle with an extremely loud exhaust just went up and down and up and down my road and i knew that bijoy and prashant were up to no good at all and this was all being done for my benefit because they knew you were with your because girlfriend because I knew they were, uh, and, Vijay, and I, apparently they had a bet that he would leave drop the girlfriend like a hot cake and come over which is more or less what happened <laughs> Uh, so <laughs> no, that's that's the makings of a great video right there. Yeah. So sorry, yeah. girlfriend, but basically we went to that pl- the, the 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 Vijoy's house and they gave me the keys to the ZX9 
had my first huge tank slapper on that motorcycle okay uh, borrowed motorcycle somebody else has freaked the crap out of me but i realized that i don't really panic you know when when the state for panic arrives then i calm down mm. so i sort of realized that i was in a tank slapper but i was not actually going to the right or the left i was just heading down a straight road straight with the handlebars flapping so i sort of calmed down and allowed the tank slapper to sort of play out yeah um then i went out onto a f- faster road and i did some really nutty stuff which i've never done again let's not go into the details <laughs> but suffice it to say when i came back and i said oh the zx9 is an amazing bike and they gave me lemonade to drink and i sloshed most of it out because my hands were shaking so much from the wow. tank slapper plus yeah. what i did outside i will never forget that motorcycle uh, not that i love that zx9r but that was one of the most visceral experiences i had on that motorcycle ever it was just mm. insane mm. the first time at school which was css was also something i will remember forever because i was so happy at the end of it that i was practically overwhelmed with emotion because i finished my session and i looked over and my coach was making a uh, was clapping at me from his motorcycle saying you nailed it this time wow and the next year we were working with another coach and my colleague abhay and we were both riding r15s that year also the same thing happened we rode we rode our hearts out and he came back and said our tires were looking like crap okay that's <laughs> how hard we did in those r15s nice. and he said if you rode like that on a 600 i would not be able to coach you because i would not be fast enough and to me that is a great stamp of approval wow and coming from a css coach, coming from that's a css huge. coach but the greatest memory of all is the aprilia tono v4 factory uh, 1100 i rode that bike and it was everything i have ever imagined a motorcycle needs to be for me it, it's funny that you mention that because to me the greatest motors, uh, motoring journalist is chris harris and that's his favorite motorcycle yeah that's his exact yeah, yeah. motorcycle and in hindsight there are no two no articles that don't end with the journalist wanting to buy one it's that great a motorcycle wow uh, but you know the amazing thing is i i was going on the way back to pune to the motorplex to return the bike from bombay and i could not ride the bike anymore i had to stop on the side of the road because i was just crying i was like tears flowing from my eyes really yeah and i called wow. my wife uh, and i was she was like what happened and i was like no nothing happened i'm fine then why the hell are you crying so i said it's this motorcycle i can't stop crying i don't know what to do i'm just crying <laughs> and she was like yeah I, i can see that you're crying but why are you crying and it was the simplest thing it was like this is my dream this is the bike and it's 27 lakh rupees something on road i will never have that kind of money for a motorcycle in the uh, job i do never say never and it was just that at that moment the dream was so real but it was so far away that mm. i was just emotionally in two places at the same time and i was just howling mm. and uh, she was like listen calm down it will all work out and uh, i was like yeah you can say that but i can't imagine buying a 30 lakh rupee motorcycle at all and i though the columns i wrote after that the story i wrote for the tourno the video i produced for the tourno remain some of the most feedbacky things i've ever done because people saw how far away from normal it made me out of character yeah i it was so difficult to give the keys back to the aprilia guys and i still think that a tono in my garage would be like amazing do you have a name picked out yet <laughs> you know the, the one of the things i decided that the name fera which was my first rd350 yeah. would be given to a motorcycle that attained that status wow okay that's so something. basically it Goose would have stuff. a name yeah. it would have a name yeah. so let's say um Firain was the name of my triumph. Okay, yeah. so let's say that Firain became so important to me that it was that again. It would become Ferrari. Ferrari it would yeah. get renamed. The Ducati is damn close because it's such a hilariously good motorcycle for me. But to me, the Aprilia is almost like a shoe in that it would get a FER name and then the name would get retired and Ferrari too would be its new name. <laughs> But I'm telling you, 
I believe everybody in this podcast, people are listening to everybody in the PD Army, all of you guys at Power Drift, and everybody else out in the world deserves a motorcycle like that. Nice. A motorcycle where you get on, you switch it on, you go for a ride, and ten minutes later, it's doing everything that's in your fucking head. When you think it should turn, it turns, and it doesn't just turn; it turns exactly the way you think it should turn. When you think. it should vibrate it vibrates when you mm. think it should honk it should just sort of honk mm. when you think there should needs to be more light from the headlights it should just have more light mm. it should be that bike it should be a bike which is almost you in human form and that thing in motorcycle form are the same thing that's insane that connection yeah. is what you want to spend your life looking for <laughs> <laughs> i do, do you think that's only something that the the italians can achieve look i because there is there is such emotion into their engineering and their okay so i have one austrian motorcycle i have yeah. a ktm 390 that's ferocitas sure. i have one r6 which is the japanese motorcycle yeah. which is ferrachi i yeah, have the ducati multistrada which is ferrochi which yeah. is italian with a hint of german uh <laughs> not lot it's just the bosch electronics yeah. the reason for the bosch electronics i would say is only because if anybody tells you that the gs is more reliable than the ducati you just yeah. need to tell them it's the same electronics so calm the fuck down no, i meant the vw connection yeah but oh, yeah, yeah. yeah so uh to me the reason to look for that connection and i maybe it's true for life partners as well is because you want that once for once in your lifetime mm. okay in terms of arti we were that mm. we were those people in terms of motorcycles the ducati is very close to how i feel about motorcycles the ktm is almost exactly me it's crappy fast <laughs> fast and loose it's amazing yeah. the r6 is japanese but it has so much character and i think a japanese bikes today have a lot less character mm. exceptional brand being yamaha they've always managed to put more character than everybody else which is why yamahas are very close to my heart and it's heartbreaking for me that they don't do more enthusiast motorcycles mm. in india but yeah the italians somehow they get it and yes is it easier to live with an italian motorcycle than a japanese no fuck no. <laughs> but is it worth it oh fuck yes yeah. the way you feel about something that comes out of italy somehow yeah. even today even despite the fact that the electronics are coming from german germany and like you said there's a volkswagen connection all that but still there is something about italian motorcycles that almost no other brand so um moto gp the rossi camp marquez camp Oh, Rossi Camp. Rossi Camp. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're about the same age I, as well. I, I, no, no, it's not just the age thing. I <laughs> do, think. Do you feel like a little bit of a like a Rossi? Because I could totally draw an analogy between you and Rossi. Uh, Look, racers who regularly barge people out of their way to win races <laughs> are just not <laughs> worth the effort. Is the reason why I'm not a Michael Schumacher fan because yeah. he did the same thing. That's true. That's it's true. Is the reason why I'm not a Marquez fan either. Yeah. Uh, I don't like Ma- uh, Lorenzo because I don't think Lorenzo actually has a personality of his own. He just copies things from other people. Mm. Uh, For example, he wasn't wearing multicolored boots until Rossi happened to mm. him. <laughs> But Rossi's been wearing multicolored boots yeah. forever. It's Rossi's thing. Yeah. But suddenly one day he comes into Yamaha and starts wearing one red boot and one white boot. Who does, I, I, who does he think he's kidding? You've also had uh, the chance of meeting Rossi, I believe. I did. I, I got to hang out him with him for a whole day, and he's a super a whole guy. Day. A whole day. What yeah. was that like? Uh, he he's just amazing because he, there's literally no airs. And whether you say that he's media savvy and therefore he puts it on and he actually has airs or whatever. for that whole day he was really nice to us uh, he had his zip open for most of the day and uh, <laughs> at one point some one of us uh, i think it was kartik from motoring who went up to him and said your zip is open he's like oh fuck fuck <laughs> check check your pictures check your pictures this is in the pictures 
and uh, well it wasn't in the pictures and yeah. then i took a picture with him at that point of time and then i got to do an interview for cnbc with him and then after that we took some more pictures and he's whispering in my ears as the photographers are taking the pictures how many selfies with me do you really want <laughs> and it's amazing that a guy of his stature in a room full of journalists would yeah. remember you as individual people yeah exactly yeah that that's amazing yeah, so he he rossi is rossi is somebody that is not just a great motorcycle racer great he person. is a great person yeah. and to me that is what i follow That's him what people for. will remember you by that I is why i would yeah. go to the motogp paddock and not buy anything except 46 branded stuff it's not mm. because i am a huge rossi fan but because i know it's going to a guy who i value and respect yeah marquez on the other hand he's just a dick a very <laughs> very capable dick on a motorcycle but as far as i'm concerned he and lorenzo are both dicks mm. and yeah i mean fair enough that that i i cannot disagree with that assessment <laughs> and to me yeah a person is always valued by their character and, and how they yeah, treat other people yeah it's like cal crusher is on a honda and i'm extremely fond of him and yeah. if he wins i'd be very happy for him yeah. same goes for people like zarco yeah. uh, i'd be happy Pedro to Sazza, see Pe- pedrosa yeah. juan mir all of these guys mm. do extremely well marquez and lorenzo are doing well snow skin on my nose really mm. that that's amazing um i had one final question before we close um in your opinion of course the industry's changed a lot and do you think we're sort of reaching a peak with motorcycles as how good they can be and do you think what is your outlook where do you what do you envision this industry and uh, what what do you think products are going to look like another decade from now and and you've obviously seen the best of it i think motorcycles will still get better interesting uh i think we are at a stage where we are discovering how electronics are helping riders go faster than they've ever gone before mm. but i think eventually we will come around to the point where electronics will become a mechanism that new riders will rely on to allow them to go even faster than before mm. and then they'll be tuned to do that mm. to be a performance support tool more than a idiot proofing tool mm. and i think when that happens we will take another step uh, one good bike in that direction is the new panigale v4 mm-hmm. it's insane that a bike that fast is so easy to ride uh it's very physical to ride you need to be very physically fit if you're going to take it to a race track and really push it mm-hmm. but the fact of the matter is almost anybody can jump on that 215 bhp <laughs> thing and really go fast <laughs> yeah. and not be scared of it which yeah. is amazing you, yeah. you it's it's insane that you're able to do yeah. that it's funny that's what everybody <coughs> has said that, that yeah. it's 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 a brute but it's it's gentle it's yeah. it's, it's it's so fast it is mm. so fast but anybody can ride it uh, we i rode it i was lucky enough to ride it at the valencia mm. preview for the media and we were the southeast station crew and there were some really fast guys in our crew and there were some guys who were just not fast at all mm. and everybody was able to get on full gas and That's experience insane. the awe of a 225 bhp motor with the akrapovich parallel just, this to your experiences in the early days where it was just scary <laughs> i remember riding the first s1000 double r uh, it was in bombay and uh, the traction control was like a kick up the backside every 2 f- <laughs> seconds you'd open the gas and it'd lose traction it just cut par and was abrupt and it was nasty mm. it was one of the worst feeling motorcycles i've ridden and if you take it from the idea that the european press were going gaga about how capable was it versus our experience i was like i don't know what the hell they guy they're on about mm. versus today where in S1000 RRs electronics are so sophisticated that you can yeah. barely tell that they're working yeah. uh, i happened to ride the suzuki vstrom at the race track recently and it was mind blowing because you can sort of keep leaning that thing and it the vstrom the vstrom 650 <laughs> yeah you can sort of keep leaning that thing and it sort of leans and you get on the par and you sort of sink into the seat but it just absolutely goes then after a while you realize you've got long travel suspension yeah. so you come exactly. out of turn 2 and you pick it up and you don't go into turn 3 you just go straight on and it goes through the grass <laughs> or whatever comes out the other side you made 10 bike lanes and somebody else and they're all like we thought you were having a crash and it was like took us 3 laps to figure out that was your new racing line 
But the, when, when you look at the GoPro footage from their bike, you realize traction control was on the whole, whole time. time. You just didn't even realize it was there. So I think so one direction is electronics will become even more sophisticated. It will become even harder to crash a bike. Hmm. Uh, I think autonomous motorcycles is an idea will fail. <laughs> I hope it does. Because uh, yeah. I, cannot, I cannot fathom the idea that you'd get on a motorcycle and then have it run itself. Exactly. Then what's the point of riding a motorcycle? Exactly. You might as well get in a car. Yamaha had that demonstration with the Rossi robot or whatever. And I was like, man, I can understand that as a evaluation of the systems that are controlling a motorcycle's exactly. dynamics. And it's a complicated system. A unit exactly. vehicle with one wheel behind exactly. the other is a complicated physics system. And I can understand that they're trying to learn more about it so the yeah. electronics can become more sophisticated. Yeah. There's an advantage to that in racing yeah. and an advantage outside. But to me, BMW had that concept vision something where mm. the guy wasn't wearing a helmet because they said, look, it's autonomous and it's uncrashable so they don't need a helmet anymore. Yeah, I'm Welcome. not a fan. <laughs> I don't... See, look, I like to commute, okay? I'm yeah. looking for a place in Pune right now and the reason why I'm hesitating to rent a place out because I want to be on a motorcycle for half an hour before I get to work. Commuting makes you sharp. Yeah. A good commuter will always be a good motorcyclist. Mm. And a good commuter is not noticed by other motorcycles. They've just gone mm. through traffic. Mm. They're like the invisible man. Mm. Can you imagine that life? You get on in the morning, you go to your BMW, you say, hey BMW, and the BMW says, are you ready for a ride? And you sort of <laughs> get on and then you sort of press a button and then it sort of takes you to work. As primarily being a car guy, I will say that it makes sense with four-wheelers, but definitely not two-wheelers. Yeah, yeah, because in a four-wheeler, four in the back yeah. of your Uber, you're already you be doing other things. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Why would so, you sit on a motorcycle if you wanted to do other things? Exactly. You, exactly. What do you want to do? Press the wheelie button and say wheelie yeah. all the way to work. <laughs> and, and this, your autonomous motorcycle is wheeling all the way through work and the police are looking and smiling saying, what a great guy. He knows what the wheelie button does and he's not posing a risk to the... Uh, uh, you see, in my head, it doesn't compute. Auto autonomous yeah. motorcycle. But the flip side of it is when enough vehicles have become auto uh, automated... Yeah. then there will be no space for human motorcyclists in that traffic. True. And therefore, you must come to my race school now <laughs> so that you can <laughs> learn what to do at a race track because that will be your last refuge. It will be the only place where you will be yourself. And maybe that's, and maybe in some sense, and maybe it's a good thing if you can take more people to a race track and, yeah, and have them sure. experience it. Because then you can go outright, of course, in a controlled environment. So if something sure. goes wrong, you're going to be a lot more safer. For sure. Better than what a lot of folks are doing now, which is doing it on the streets. Yeah, man. Yeah. See, look, I cannot any longer drive fast in traffic. I have lost my, let's call it mojo. I yeah. just can't do it anymore. I'm willing to go very fast at the racetrack and I'm surprised at how fast I go at the racetrack. I was told that when I drove the Vento TCA4, mm -hmm. the car, uh, I did a lap time which would put me somewhere on the grid or something like nice. that. So I'm not slow in a car, sure. but in traffic, I can't drive fast anymore. Yeah. Uh, in traffic sense, on a yeah. bike, I can still go quite quickly, yeah. but I'm not going 10 tenths anymore. Yeah. It's just that my eight tenths is very fast now. Yeah. At a racetrack, I'm willing to push. And even there, I have a very finite limit. So what I discovered doing the school is people learn in different ways. Uh, so people learn by scaring themselves a little bit and realize nothing happened. And mm. then that becomes a new method. Yeah. And I am the opposite. I will not scare myself. Oh, interesting. I will do it correctly over and over and over and over again until it mm. unlocks the ability to go to do faster. So I will do the same lap time for a long time. Then I'll make a fairly substantial step. Then I will do that lap time for a long time. Then I'll make another substantial step. And that's how I learn. So if I go to the racetrack tomorrow, a brand new racetrack, and you put a talented rider next to me, they will go very fast, very quickly. Yeah. I will have the ability to do it, but I can't do it. Mm. But you bring me to that racetrack the 20th time, I might be able to match his pace. You know, so people learn differently and the racetrack allows you to discover that about yourself. Yeah. That's one reason to go. But uh, I just don't have the kida to ride super fast <laughs> in traffic anymore, man. It's just not worth it anymore. That's amazing. I think if I were to describe you in one word, it would be Mr. Consistency. 
Uh, would, I, do you think I'll be a fair assessment? I with, think so. Yeah, with, I'm, with your career growth, and I am all method. Done, yeah. yeah, method and yeah, crazy. Maybe I should be more spontaneous. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should pull a wheelie in your car now. <laughs> with that, Shumi, thank you so much for taking time off. It's this has been such a great conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed myself. I've learned so much as well, and uh, thank you so much for for taking the time off to be with us. Uh, Shumi will also be hosting podcast soon now that he's part of Powerdrift. So yeah. be sure to stay tuned. Uh, do subscribe. Do share this content and write in what you would like to hear from from Shumi as well. Don't forget Racing School happening soon. Check it out on the website. And any last words, Shumi? Would, I mean, or any closing statements? Well, first of all, I'm super happy to be at Powerdrift, yeah. um, and uh, I'm hoping that you and me together will make some amazing content, sure. and uh, we'll take this thing to places nobody has imagined before. Sure. cannot be done without you uh, and i think i'm going to have to have some part to play in that as well awesome thank you ladies and gentlemen so much don't forget this is talk the talk we are doing this in association with epilog media you can listen to us on the epilog website which is epilog.media not.com we're also available on all your mainstream podcast platforms so we're on savan we're on apple podcast we're on google we're on amazon we're pretty much everywhere huge shout out to rohan takar for making this possible thank you so much until the next episode we shall see you later bye